Good to be here. This is my second time. Um, the church has grown. <laughs> so, um, I'm going to preach from Philippians 2, 5 to 11, as uh, Matt just read. You know, we just passed Easter like a couple of weeks ago. And uh, today I want to bring on the lingering power and the message of Easter. You know, Easter mostly we talk about the resurrection of Christ, which is the most powerful thing on earth in heaven forever, for all eternity. But today I want to talk about the journey of Christ to the cross and how does that transform us. All right, so I changed the topic a little bit. So, but it's the same thing, but I just want everybody to understand how much it cost Jesus to go to the cross. So just as a way of background, Jesus is God. He's not just a man. Okay, let's go to get it clear to get go. And for a God, for the God to become a man, we call it, theologically, we call it incarnation which is the most mysterious, mystic thing in the world that forever theologians have been arguing about. And the other thing is the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons, one, one God. So the, the scripture we just read say that Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but empty himself Taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of man. He is God in equality with God and he emptied himself. It's hard for us to even imagine that. I can't find illustrations enough to illustrate that because it's beyond, this is transcendent. We are models to try to understand that. It has to take to really another level. And the reason I want to do this because what Paul says in the book of Ephesians, so that you may. You may know the, the, I pray, process, I pray daily that, that you may know the love and the breadth, the, the height and the breadth and the width of the love of Christ for you. How do you know the love of Christ? How high, how big, how, how long, how deep it is without knowing what he went through for us. So it, it, it's, it, when you read Paul's prayer, it's almost like a cliche to know the height and the breadth and love of Christ. Yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying, but how? That's why we need to know the journey Christ took to make that happen. And also, like Mike just said, because I pray that as I share this message, the Word of God, the Spirit of Holy Spirit will bring us to bring it to life, and you will dwell on it. So I just love that. I just feel that it is not preached enough. I just really want to bring out how much Jesus went through. Apart from the cross, let's not, I don't even know going to the cross where he bleed, he bled, and he was whipped, he was mocked, just to get us back to heaven. So, so I want to go through with you a few points here. Number one, he gave up his spiritual riches, spiritual and material riches. Forget about the material riches. The, the Bible says everything, every mountain is his. There's no comparison. He owns everything. And he was born in where? In a manger. The most humbling thing. When, he was, when his parents, his mom and dad, offered a sacrifice to, to, to God as a Jewish tradition when he was like seven days old, what did they offer? A pigeon. 
a dove, and it's the most humble means of the most lower group of people financially. You know, everything speaks of him. He's from the most humble. When he came to Jerusalem on the Easter, just before Easter, the Palm Sunday, he rode on a donkey. He didn't come in chariot. They didn't have Mercedes at that time, but chariot. They didn't come in. He didn't come in chariot. In fact, the word donkey was prophesied in the book of Isaiah. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, see your king has, is coming on a mule, on the donkey to you. So all fulfillment, everything. I also want to tell you that. I love free flow. I want to tell you that everything Jesus did on earth was predestined. Just like you and I were predestined. In a different way, but we were predestined. Predestination of God. This is Reformed Presbyterian, right? And, and also the, the thing is, that, you know, when, when Jesus, well, you know, I was, I was listening to a sermon that uh, the, the disciples were praying in the book of Acts when, when, when some of the disciples, when the apostles of Christ were thrown into jail, what did they pray? They pray, oh God, they, uh, they have thrown, they have crucified, they have killed your servant, Jesus Christ, based on what you have already predetermined. Is that the... Is it the plan of men, of Romans and the Pharisees that put Jesus, nailed Jesus to the cross? No. It was the plan of God. It was never the plan of man. It's the plan of God. God already planned from all eternity, before the world existed, the Son of God is going to be nailed on that cross. So everything was in plan. So I just want to tell you, I was thinking about this. He gave us spiritual riches. Let me just hit that point first. What, what is that about the spiritual riches? Let me read you a couple of verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says, Because for your sake he became poor, though being rich, in order that you through his poverty may become rich. Rich here primarily talks about spiritual uh, richness. You know, before coming to Christ, we were spiritually Stricken, we were spiritually depraved. You know, there's no way we can come to God, no matter how successful a person has in this world. There's only a lifespan of 80, 90, whatever years old, and that's it. But what Jesus is offering to, to us is eternal life. And then Matthew 28, uh, 20, 28 says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life. As a ransom for many. That's what we're talking about. And the commentary I was reading says this. So poor was he that he was constantly borrowing. A place for his birth. And what a place. A house to sleep in. A boat to preach from. An animal to ride on. A room in which to institute the Lord's Supper. Everything he borrowed. He never owned any of this. He finally... A tomb to be buried in. He didn't even own that tomb land. Moreover, he took upon himself a spiritual debt. A very heavy debt. His debt, voluntarily assumed, was the heaviest that was ever incurred by anyone. That is the line that breaks it for me. Why he was so stricken poor? You go like, yeah, he didn't own. You know, the son of man has no place to lay his head even, Jesus said, right? So it, it just, you just read through it, yeah, but you don't really, really feel it. 
But when, when, when this one, this line hit me, says that, but he took a debt that is crushing. That's why he was crushed on the cross. Your debt, my debt. That is the one. That is the one that made him really, really poor spiritually. Why did the father say? Why did he cry to father, father? Why did you forsake me? That was the spiritual darkest and poorest moment of Jesus Christ, the son of God. The darkest moment of Jesus is not when he was sweating droplets of blood. That was pretty dark. But the darkest is when his father turned away from Jesus. He felt it. At that time, he was really, really stricken poor. He was spiritually broken. He was like the most sinful man on earth. Can you imagine he he just pulled in all the sins of the entire world and put it on himself? Father, this is me. That's why he was crushed. That's first point. Second point. Oh, before that, let me read Isaiah 53, 6. It says, All we like sheep has gone, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All our iniquity on one person, on him, the Lord Jesus Christ. Second thing, I want to talk with you about his journey. Number two, he gave up his heavenly Glory. John 17, verse 3 and 4 and 5 says this. It's very, very revealing. Says, he said this. And this is eternal life. And they know you. The only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorify you on earth, Father. Jesus said, I glorify you on earth. Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, listen to this one. And now, Father, glorify me. See that? Who can talk to God this way? Only God can. No one can tell God, glorify me. He said, Father, glorify me. In your, in your own presence, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Wow, he's, I, I'm, I'm trying to read the new ones into it. He's, he's sort of reminding Father, I have this glory with you before this world exists. I told you, right? Before this world even existed, he was already destined to go to the cross to die for us. Why? I think he, that's the way he's going to show the immensity, the love of God for us, or else we never understand there's another subject, all right? But let me just focus on this one. Jesus told God the Father, glorify me with the glory I had. What does that mean? That means I don't have it now, you see? That's what Jesus is saying. Father, I had it, but now I don't have it. But glorify me now. Why glorify me? Read the verse before. He said, I have accomplished the work you gave me to do. Now glorify me. First and foremost, let me tell you this. He had all the glory. He did not have to come to this world to die for us to get that glory. He already had that glory, but he gave up the glory. That's my point. On his journey to the cross to save us, he gave up that glory. And when he was on earth going through the final moment of his life, he called the Father, Father, glorify me with the glory I had before. Remember the, in, the, in the moment of transfiguration when Peter and James and John went out to the mountain with, with Jesus? 
Jesus was transfigured. That is God transcendent. Remember I told you, right? Jesus is both God and man. He's not half God, half man. He's fully God and fully man. So when transfiguration, his divinity show forth. The Bible, the scriptures, the book of John, the gospel of John says that Jesus' face was like, like a sun shining. You couldn't even look at it. You could be blinded. That's how glorious Jesus was on earth. Can you imagine now he's in heaven? So Jesus just gave Peter, James, and John a glimpse of his glory before. So I want you to feel it. Who this Jesus, the Lord we worship is. With the glory I had before. Okay? So, I mean, who is this guy? Jesus Christ. John 8, 58. Very, John 8, 58 says, Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, Before Abraham, before Abraham was born, I am. That word I am is I capital, A-M capital. That is the Yahweh. That's the name of Yahweh in the Old Testament. He said he's God so many times. I have given up everything. But you know what? I was coming here with my wife in the car just now on the way here. I was meditating upon that one. Give up my riches. Give up my honor. Glory. What does that mean more to, to, to earth, Lord? And then just thought this came to me. I was so pleased by that. You know, the giving up is temporary. No one. Folks, let me tell you this. Everything you give up on earth now is temporary. You will get it back a hundred times. I want to encourage you this morning. That's the way we should look at life, in, especially as Christians. Don't count the pennies and this and that and this in this world because this world is less than it's less than hundred years. That's it. You see, people say, you know, people always preach Jesus died, he so much he suffered because of because of your sins he died and he becomes a substitution substitution substitutional death for us to redeem us and all this. And this is absolutely gorgeous and beautiful, and that is correct. And you know how much Christ has suffered for you and all this. Now, after a while, I'm thinking, I wrote an article about this as well. No one should be a fool to think that Jesus just suffered immensely and died for you so that to save you. And the story stops at Good Friday. There must be a Easter Sunday. Hallelujah. Amen. There got to be Easter Sunday or else we are doomed. We are, we have, there's no point. The, the real point is the resurrection. What, that's why Easter is so powerful. That's why Jesus knows that his sufferings is only a short period of time. He's going to make it. He's no fool. Christ is a smart guy. I mean, I mean just, I'm using human language to illustrate that. He's God. He's omnipotent, omni-wisdom. He's wisdom personified. He can't get it wrong. But I just want to know, to emphasize, sometimes I, don't, I think people don't bring it out enough. No, new ones are enough that Christ did not do it like, like a lamb, that a quiet lamb go to slaughter. What is next? That's what I want to know. What is next? Tell me what is the next sto- chapter. The story cannot end on slaughter. The s- story cannot end on, on Passover, on Good Friday. We need a resurrection. Hallelujah. We need Easter. We need 
the resurrection power, which is available to us now. The, the Paul wrote in Ephesians, in, in the book of uh, Epistles, that we have that power. The Heavenly Father exert his power and raise Jesus up. There was not a moment of doubt. Jesus, in his mind, he's going to raise it from the death. For three days, he went down to hell. A theologians debated a huge debate. Did he or did he not go down to hell? He preached to the lost souls. That's what the Bible says. What I saw is what I'm telling you. Do you think he's like, went to, went to no man's land for three days? No, he's very much alive. And the other thing I want to tell you is that our resurrection is just not spirit. A lot of Christians think it that way. And I used to think it that way. Next time when you resurrect, when we resurrect, what are we going to become with like spirit floating? Some people describing floating in the air with playing harps. We have a body. Glory. We will have a celestial body. We're not just going to spirit. You know why? You know when Jesus resurrected from the death on uh, the 40 days after, after Easter, he was still on earth. He didn't go up straight on day two, you know. He spent another 40 days. He talked with the two disciples, explained to him why all the, acts, all the Old Testament is really talking about him. And then he, he appeared to Thomas and all this. But this one location, I want you to, a couple of locations. It's very, very clear. One night, all the, the 12 apostles gathering in the upper room. And, 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 and they were just really heavy burden to say the Lord has risen. And, you know, we've been persecuted so badly. Oh, God, what shall we do? They're praying and talking. And guess what? The door was locked. Jesus walked through that door. I heard this. This is a beautiful, powerful. Uh, Kathy Keller said that, actually. Do you think on Easter Day, when Mary Magdalene came to the tomb, people think the angel rolled away the stone? I think not. Jesus walked through the stone. He did not need someone to open that tomb. He walked through that stone, just like he walked through the door. Did I make it up? No, it's in the Bible. Jesus walked through the door, or through the wall. That stone was rolled away for your sake. That stone was rolled away for Mary's sake. That stone was rolled away for the whole world so that we got it in this boat. Then that People can walk in there and look and saw on Easter Sunday, there is nothing there. Only the linens there. Jesus walked through that wall. His spirit, obviously. But then he says something. Do you have fish? He ate the fish before them. That is that. That's body. And then he said, Thomas, you're doubting? Thomas said, I will never believe Jesus, the Lord, has risen from the dead until I saw his, his palms with the nail, the hole on his palms. He, he was just thinking about it, but Jesus already knew because he's God, right? Jesus said, Thomas, come here. Feel my hand. And Jesus, and Thomas just went, Lord, you are my Lord, you're my God. That's what we need, you know. This is what we need. We need like moments of encounter with God. It may not look exactly like what Thomas saw. Obviously, it will not be the same. But there will be moments you can ask God and you can encounter Him. Whatever ways, I don't know, but He will decide. I have encountered Him. Smaller ways, you may not have a, a way to like feel His 
hold on his palm every time. You know, nobody has. Only Thomas has, for that matter. I have felt God put in my heart. Move me when I'm doing my devotion time in the morning, for example. I feel the Spirit of God move my heart. Sometimes I will, I almost, I, I like weep. Jonathan Edwards said that. When he was, in, he was studying the presence of God, he wrote down the Spirit of God would come down so strongly upon him that he would just weep and cry and cry for hours. Don't you like those moments? God, the transcendent God is so real to you. I think that's the whole, this is what the world is after. That's why people go to uh, Go to all these uh, this, uh, occultic powers and all these dark powers because they, everyone is longing for the God, for our King. Don't you see all the movies in Hollywood? Every story, the major, major big story is the King has returned. It's always a clash between the, the good and the evil because God has wired inside our hearts for a King. We need a King. I'm just going through my Joshua and Esther class in my seminary. You know, if you read through the book of Judges, you will walk out from this place so depressed. All you see is killing, assassination, killing, assassination. A couple of bright spots here and there. And God, God pulled Jehu to kill this Ahab. Ahab married the, the, like, like a witch, Jezebel. King of Israel married a witch. He, she killed 300 prophets of God. Of the God of Israel. And brought in all the Baal. Baal prophets. Elijah challenged that. It's the most epic moment. You know the story right? Elijah asked them to. Put an altar. Put a, put a, put a cow there. And sacrifice. Call your Baal God. To bring down fire and burn it. They, they lashed themselves for half an hour or more. Hours. They could not get it. Elijah stepped up. He said, before I stepped up, pour water, buckets and buckets of water on this altar. And everybody's watching. He stepped up. Oh God, show them you are the Lord God and I'm your prophet. Boom, the fire came down. And not only burned the sacrifice, licked up. The Bible actually used the word lick. Licked up all, every single drop of water. Powerful demonstration. And at that moment, all the Israelites said, Yahweh, our God, the Lord, He is God. Elijah actually told them, kill all those Baal prophets, 300 perish. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a very brutal, but it's very, very miraculous, uh, supernatural. If you want supernatural stories, go back to Old Testament and New Testament under Jesus. I just want you to encourage that. Miracles still happen today in our lives in different ways, different forms. So when you, when you go up, you shall have a body. In that case, we will have a body. Like Jesus gave up his glory. Isaiah 6, 1 to 3 says, Holy, holy is the Lord, Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That is Isaiah 6, right? And Isaiah 53, barely 40 chapters later, the story turned. 53 verse 3 says, He was despised, means Jesus. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and is one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteem him not. From Isaiah 6 was, Holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is full of his glory. That is God, Jesus, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Isaiah 53, 45 chapters later, he was despised. He was rejected by man. 
Did you see the transformation? He was a despised man of sorrows. That's Isaiah. That's like two, like a thousand or two thousand years before Jesus was even born into this world, incarnated into this world. I like that word better than born, because it's God. You see that? He was despised by Pharisees. The Roman power just slapped and mocked until they buried him. All these things, but that's the price. The, there's a price for the glorious Christianity he gave us through his sufferings and, and, and grief. I want to tell you this. I don't know if you watch the movies, uh, the, the Passion of God, and they show, G, uh, they show Mary watching from a distance, her son on the cross, bleeding and about to die moment, and tears flowing down her, her, her cheeks, her face. And that was such a moving moment for me. I mean, it just graphically captured the moment that we need to see. That's why Easter, the process, the journey of Christ is important for us or else we never really truly appreciate Easter. That's, if not, we never really truly appreciate the love of Christ for us. Every woman looking at that cross with the man bleeding, such a good man, the most powerful man ever, ever been, and healed and, and, and cast out demons, healed so many sick, and preached the sermons of hope, and fed 5,000 with two fish and five loaves, the man who, the only man on earth ever walked on water, and all this, I raised the dead, and he's, he's so graceful. And now he's on the cross, bleeding. I think every... Every mother looking at that will cry and just weep. And father too. Imagine you were there that moment. What would you do? I saw Mary crying. You know, that, that is for the price of the glory. Many looked and wept. But that is, the point is that he was a man of sorrows and, and acquainted with grief. That is our, our God, the Lord that we worship. Until he rose and broke the power of death and redeemed mankind. Until people saw on the day of Pentecost on Acts chapter 2 when 3,000 men were saved on one day. Until they saw hundreds of men were baptized in the Spirit speaking tongues of different languages. Until many foreigners came and said, wow, this is God. How, how, how come you are speaking my language? Until they saw... The believers defiled threats, persecution, jails, and continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because they saw the glory of Jesus Christ. Have you seen the glory of Christ? Number three, he gave us independent exercise of authority. In fact, he became a servant, and even though he was a son, learned obedience of what he suffered. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8. I can never understand that for the longest time. Actually, I, I think I wrote something on this. The Son of God had to learn obedience through sufferings, through the hard way. You know, folks, you never learn obedience through easy ways. You never know whether a man's heart is until he hit difficulties, hard times. If you want to be a Christian, you want to be a Christian, then stay, stay the course, even in hard times. Because that's what Jesus did. The Christianity will not have the fire, the passion. We're not 
Tim Keller Court will not be electrifying if you don't have that. You have to seek and ask God for that. He learned obedience by what he suffered means he's a man. He's not God. I told you, right? This is really helping you. There are moments that Jesus was really functioning as a perfect man. A man abide a perfect man. Remember that. He's not just an ordinary man. Somebody calls him Superman. I disagree with that. I think he's a perfect man. But he did not leave behind his divinity, you see. If I do my PhD, I think it's one of the subjects I want to do is this. The duality of God and man in one. So I can tell you that he learned obedience not as God. God does not need to learn obedience. He learned obedience as a son of man. I do not seek my will by the will of him who sent me, the spirit of Jesus. You know, there are many verses like Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ who lives in me. See, Jesus gave up his independent exercise of authority. When you, be, you and I become Christian, the spirit of Christ dwells within us, right? Our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. We give up the authority of independent power. We don't run our own lives anymore. We found our biggest freedom. Your real freedom is in Christ. Your freedom, your real freedom is not you doing your own things apart from Christ. They'll be destined for destruction. Doom in the, in the long term. I like the poster and the life I now live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, who gave himself for me. You see that? Paul has given up everything, but he found the real freedom. You know, a lot of epistles that you read, Romans, Ephesians, Philippians, and all this from Paul, he said, rejoice. And I think two months ago, I came here and preached about rejoice. Always in the Lord, right? That's Paul writing. Guess what? He was writing in jail. He's, he, he's writing, rejoice in the Lord. Always rejoice. He was in chains, in jail when he wrote that. That has to be God. That is what is his God. But if Christ given up his relationship, everything, you know, Calvin says, the Bible says the Son of God emptied himself. Who emptied Jesus? Not anybody else. He himself emptied himself. That's why he's God. That's why Jesus said, no one can take my life away. I lay it down, I pick it up again. He is God. All right. Number four. The glory of his humbling and, and obedience. Therefore, verse 9 to verse 11, we read this morning. Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed him the name that is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and earth in, and under the earth. That Jesus is Lord and to the glory of the Father. It's interesting. Therefore God exalted, you know. Exalted the God man. You know? God doesn't need exaltation. He's already there. So he's a God man. He's... God exalted that man, that God-man, to the highest glory. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Even those who damned him 2,000 years ago. Even those who pierced him and killed him will say, 
in days to come and the, and the consummation of the age at his return, they will say, Jesus is Lord. Even Pontius Pilate will be saying that word. That's what it means. Even all those Pharisees applaud or hated him or take his life out. They will have to say that too. So let me come to that. Conclude this morning. I want to give you some good applications. Number one. Christ Jesus humbled himself so deeply. You Philippians. Because that book was written to the Philippians. And you can extrapolate to us today. You Philippians should be constantly willing to humble yourselves in your own small ways. Surely if he became obedient to the stand of death. Yes, death by a cross. You should become increasingly obedient to the divine decrees, divine word, and should accordingly strive more and more to achieve in your lives the spirit of the Lord. That is the spirit of oneness, lowliness, and helpfulness, and humility, and pleasing to God. That's what God has called us. Be gentle, be tender, be humble. That's one. Number two, when everything bowed out to him, he's the king. You know the three roles of Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. And now he... Okay, let me explain the prophet. A prophet would teach you all truth. That is the Holy Spirit teaching you truth. The Holy Spirit's come and he's doing that. Jesus going doing through the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit. Second thing, as a priest. Jesus is a priest according to the order of Melchizedek, which is the highest. Melchizedek is not a human. I know theologians debate on that. There is only one spot kind of... And, and, you know, uh, the Bible says that uh, Jesus intercedes forever for us now in heaven. Hebrews 7.25. So as a priest, as a prophet, he teaches the word of God. That's why Sunday morning preaching and your Bible study in your small group is very important. Never, never lose sight of the word of God. This is the, this is the divine word of God. And, <clears throat> and the, second th- the third thing is the king. He protects us and leads us. The king. Now, I want third thing I want to talk to you. This is a very inspiring. Thomas Goodwin, president of the Oxford University, says this. Christians today are distracted, tossed, anxious about many things in life. And he says the minds of the many are so wholly taken in their own hearts. Christ is scarce in all their thoughts. Christ is scarce. It's few. Goodwin says that the answer to this in life is wholly to set our minds unto Christ. And, and the reason that we don't is because of our barren knowledge of Him. You know what he say? He says that our minds are distracted. We know that, right? And our minds are tossed back and forth. Our anxious about many things. We've just gone through a pandemic and it's the talent of it. And because of the anxiety and all this, the anxiety and the distraction happens because we don't have much of Christ in our hearts, in our meditation. He used the word scarce, is little. So the way to, to overcome this distraction, anxieties, and all this is to set our minds unto Christ. And we can't set our minds to Christ because of our barren knowledge of God, because we hardly know Him. We don't know Him in all, we don't know Him enough. That's why we need the Word of God to bring us understanding, revelation to, to, to us. Sermon after sermon, he sought to draw our gaze unto him. And the need hasn't changed today, he says. We're drawn to many wilderness, even the gospel. 
The gospel itself. If you don't get it and meditate and get it, you become a wilderness by itself. So last thing, I just want to say that this, all this I'm telling you will become more real when we're pressed in life. When we're under trials in life, when we're under hardship, there will no way to turn to run. We run to the Lord. When we run to the Lord, our rock and our refuge, like the psalmist says, we begin to experience, we begin to see the grace of God more and more. That's the way we're going to grow in Him. John Owen says this, What is the treasures of the gospel? Heaven? Eternal life? No, it's God. The treasure of the gospel is God Himself. You know, getting a set of rules and the ways and means to go to heaven. You're getting a person. You're getting a lover. You're getting the God-man, Christ. He's all and in all. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you, Lord. You are the incredible man on earth, the son of man, who went through so much trials, but you set your face like a flint to the cross. You say, oh God, Lord, I have a baptism to undergo, and I, I, I cannot wait until it's all done. We know that you, you came to this world, you gave up your glory, you gave up your spirit, spiritual riches, you gave up all your, your glory and of power and authority to come to this world to submit and to learn obedience. Oh Lord, may, so that you can reconcile men and women back to God. Lord, I pray that God, you will put in our hearts this morning a, a heart that is, that will also, a heart that will also be able to be, to, to take on what Christ has shown us, oh Lord. That we may understand, that we may know you better, that we will we understand your love, the height and the, and the width and the breadth and the length of the love of Christ for each and every one of us. Thank you, oh God. You have resurrected. You have, you have received all authority in heaven and on earth. Every knee shall bow to you. You are the God-man that we worship. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hezekiah made a call to all the Israelites and Judah to return to the Lord. When he made the call... The Israelites in Judah had been had survived. The remnant had just survived a terrible attack from Assyrians and and all these enemies, and because of the judgment of God upon them. So, so Hezekiah called upon Israel and Judah to return to the Lord. Is uh, Hezekiah was speaking? This is in Second Chronicles. Hezekiah is really talking to a group of remnant who survived the invasion of, of uh, Assyrians, the leftover, the remnant, the rest have all died. So what is left? Hezekiah being a really godly king, outstanding, he appealed to them to return to the Lord so that the Lord may return to them. And because the Lord is gracious and compassionate, he will take them back and protect them so that they will not be destroyed like that forefathers and all this. 
Of course, some people rejected him from Judah, ridiculed him, mocked him. But majority returned to, to Jerusalem to have huge celebration uh, of the Passover, of the, uh, of the feast together. And, uh, and that was nothing quite like that has been celebrated to such extent eventually. The Bible does say that certain group of people in Judah humbled themselves to return uh, to the Lord uh, from, from Hezekiah's appeal. So that is great. But my, my argument is that they did not humble themselves as, as, as a main topic here because it doesn't take a lot for them to humble. Their relatives, the fam part of the family has been torn, have been killed. There's nothing left of them. They are the only ones who survived. They are the remnant. How much do you think it takes for the remnant of a war to return to the Lord? All it takes to remind them from a leader, like the king, in this case, King Hezekiah, to remind them, you lost your fathers and parents or, 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 or grandparents and the part of the family to the war because they rebelled against the Lord. The Lord allowed, the Lord brought in the Assyrians to attack them, invasion of, of Israel and Judah and Jerusalem and ransacked the temple and everything, all right? So I would say the main argument concerned of, of that passage of, of, uh, of Hezekiah's appeal, a call to return, it's not, it's, it's not going to be uh, the humility of the people that makes, makes the cut as a, as, a big, as a big deal, as the main, main theme or vector to be discussed. I would not think that would be the case. The main thing is, is uh, Hezekiah capitalized on the, on the downtr downtrodden situation of Israel and Judah for the remnant to return to God. You know, Hezekiah appealed to them. He exhorted them to return to God. And it worked very well. So, so in conclusion, overall finality, how does that speak to us today? All right. This can speak to us in, in a way, in a various way, but one way is if you have gone through hard times in life, and I don't want to sound like the gospel, uh, away from the gospel center message, but there is a connection. When we walk away from the Lord, if we walk away from the Lord, we shall reap what we sow, the Bible says. You know, we shall pay the consequences. The Lord disciplined us in the book of Hebrews. God disciplined us to bring us back to himself. God teaches us a lesson. And all these things is all over the Bible. So if we do wrong and walk away from God or have idolatry and other things more important in life, there'll come a point that we got beaten up. We get, dis, you know, dis, uh, discouraged, disillusioned and all this. Things like of that nature can happen to Christians. So when that happens, God is sending a message return. So all it takes is some leaders cry out to God and say, God, cry, cry out, appeal to the, to, to, the, uh, to the congregation, to the folks, return to God. And the, the assurance is that because 
God is gracious. That's a beautiful word. The grace of God. God is gracious and compassionate. He doesn't count nickel and dimes, but he's willing to forgive. And once you return, he will return to you. That is Second Chronicles, I believe 30 or so, when Hezekiah made the appeal. So that you will be protected. You will walk with him and enjoy the presence of God in your life. All right? So that is the uh, part I want to share there on this. Thank you.